Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. the book of Ephesians. Let me just reset the table really quickly before we hop into the message. The book of Ephesians is a letter written by Paul to a church in Ephesus. And Ephesus like, that we talked about last week was a town in the Roman Empire, a city in Asia Minor that was known for three things. One, known for paganism. So you have that. Then it was known for its materialism, very prosperous place. And it was also known for perversion. And so it, it had this real uh, interesting makeup of, <laughs> of paganism, materialism, and perversion that came into this uh, cosmopolitan city that people would flow in and out of. It was a place where things were happening. And in the midst of that, Paul writes a letter to the churches in Ephesus, and he says this. He says, I want the fact that you are in Christ to be more consequential to your life than the fact that you are in Ephesus. And it really confronts us all with the question, what will be more defining the fact that we are in Charlottesville or at UVA, in UVA, or the fact that we are in Christ? And so the book of Ephesians is an identity-forming book that as we walk through this, hopefully our identity will be more and more formed in the most consequential reality of our life, that we are in Christ. Well, whenever, whenever I was growing up, I grew up in a, in a, a home uh, where my parents were divorced and my mom remarried my stepdad. And my stepdad had two kids before he married my mom. And so they lived in Florida. And so we saw them every, few, every so often. And uh, we lived in Illinois. Well, fast forward, I'm in my final year of high school, I think is when this happened. But my older stepbrother shows up on our doorstep. We weren't expecting that. We're like, oh, hey, Tim, (laughs) what are you doing? And my my older stepbrother was a bit of a rebel kind of personality. He was fun to be around um, in in many ways, but was a rebel. And so he had decided, he woke up one day and he decided he was going to move to Illinois. So he packed a bag, he hopped on his motorcycle and he drove his motorcycle from Florida to Illinois. This is before we had cell phones and text messages. We had no text message. Hey, I'm on my way. I'm a couple hours out. No, he showed up on our porch, knocked on our door and said, I'm moving in. (laughs) We're like, okay, well, welcome, Tim. (laughs) Come on in. Well, it is kind of cool to have an older stepbrother who has a motorcycle. Would you agree with that? So I'm like, I had a girlfriend at that time. I said, hey, Tim, can I borrow your motorcycle? And he, I mean, I, I had a motorbike when I grew up, you know, a little dirt bike, and I'd driven that. But this was like a real motorcycle, you know, with vroom, vroom, kind of, yeah, I don't need to explain. You know, you know what I'm talking about. This was like a real manly motorcycle. I'm like, can I borrow your motorcycle? I think my girlfriend would be impressed. I, he said, sure. I'm like, this is awesome. So I borrowed his motorcycle, drove 10 miles to my girlfriend's house, and I was Hey, I brought the motorcycle. So it's time for me to go home, get on the motorcycle, driving Tim's motorcycle home, and all of a sudden, it stops. 
So I'm now on the side of the road with a motorcycle that is not running. And um, mind you, again, there were no cell phones. Okay, so what do I do? Do I like leave his motorcycle on the side of the road? Do I push his motorcycle? So here's what I do. I would hold in the clutch and I would run with the motorcycle as fast as I could. And then I would jump on the motorcycle while I was moving. I'd pop the clutch and it would take off. It's called push starting it, right? It would take off for about a block and then it would die again. We did this, well, we, me and the mouse in my, me, I did this for miles. This is a hot, humid summer day in Southern Illinois, okay? By the time I get home, I have pushed this motorcycle. I do not know how far. I've jumped on it. I don't know how many times. I am drenched in sweat. I am hot and I am scared because I have to tell my older stepbrother his motorcycle doesn't work anymore. So I go, uh, Tim, <clears throat> we need to chat. He's like, yeah, what happened? Well, and I explained the whole thing to him, and he started to laugh hysterically. I'm like, oh, this is good. He's laughing. That's good. He said, as he was laughing hysterically, he said, you know what happened? I said, what happened? He said, you ran out of gas. I was like... <laughs> I never even considered the fact that it may have ran out of gas. I ran out of gas and had to push that motorcycle home. Now, here's the point. There was nothing fundamentally wrong with the motorcycle, but the motorcycle was built to run on a specific resource that you know and I know, and it's what? Gas, gasoline, very good. It's made to run off gasoline. And even if everything else is in proper order, in proper shape, and, not, and everything is as it should be, without gas, it's not going to run. The reason why I tell you that story is because of this. Tonight, what we are going to look at is what is the resource that we are given to live in Christ? That what is the, the essential resource that we must have if we are going to live in Christ? And if we don't have the power of this in our life, if we don't have the presence of this in our life, we literally do not have a prayer. I'm so glad you asked, what is it? Well, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at a prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus for them to be able to thrive for their life in Christ, and what we're going to find out is what it takes for us. What is the essential resource to be able to live out our life in Christ? Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be reading um, from verse 15 through the end of the chapter. And so, follow me as we read this. It says this, For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So Paul's saying, I, every time I think of you, I pray for you. And now he's going to tell us what he keeps praying for them. This is what he says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow, what a powerful passage. Well, as we read this prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, and he so desperately wants them to thrive in their life in Christ, he tells us what the number one essential resource is for us to be able to live in Christ. Did you guys catch it? The number one essential resource for us to be able to live out our life in Christ is simply this, that we would have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit abounding in our lives. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says this, I pray that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, oftentimes... The importance of the Holy Spirit is neglected. You'll hear a lot about God the Father. You'll hear about Jesus. But it is almost as if we forget about the Holy Spirit. But what Paul does in this passage, and this happens throughout the Bible, it's literally littered across the Bible. You will find passages that bring us back to center, that tell us this reality that you cannot live out the Christian life without the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You can't do it. And so Paul says, I keep on asking. I keep on asking, what does Paul pray? What would Paul pray for you? He would pray this. Oh God, give them more of the Holy Spirit. Give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now let me make an observation. These people that Paul is praying for are believers. These are people who have already trusted Jesus. These are people who are already in Christ. So he is praying for believers. He's writing this letter to believers. And what does he pray for? He prays that they would have more of the Spirit in their lives. That they would have the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, here's what you need to know. They already have the Holy Spirit. They're already regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They're already in Christ. He's already told them that. And now he's praying, I pray that you would have the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. But Paul, they already have the Spirit. He says, I know. He says, he's already told them they've been sealed by the Spirit three verses earlier. And now he's saying, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom revelation. What is he doing? Here's what he's doing. He is praying that they would have an ever-increased experience of the power and presence of the spirit in their lives. And here's what I got to believe. They weren't offended by that. They weren't like, well, what do you mean, Paul? I already have the Holy Spirit. No, here's what they're, they're like. Oh yes, that's true, Paul. I, it, it, I have to believe it made them hungry for more of the spirit in their life. And then what Paul's going to do, he's going to give three simple reasons why he wants them to have more of the spirit in their life so they can thrive in their life in Christ. And I just want to talk about those three things quickly, and we'll call it a night. First of all, he says this. He says, I pray that you would 
that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The first reason why Paul wants them to have more of the spirit is so they would have wisdom and revelation. Why? So they would know God better. So they would have a deeper understanding of God in their life. And here's the fact. This is what the entirety of the Christian life is about, that you would know God better. This is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian pursuit is to know God. And Paul knows that the only way that we can know God better is through the work of the Spirit in our lives. Here's what happens. Maybe you grew up in church. I grew up in church. But I rem- Okay, so here's what happens. You, you, you read the Bible, and it's good information. Or you hear a sermon, and that's good information. But here's what the Spirit does. The Spirit inspired the text... That, that you hear. But then the Spirit does something else. The Spirit takes that information and causes it to become revelation in our hearts where it becomes alive to us. And so what is just information that you're like, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins. And he goes like, oh, no, Jesus died for, for my sin, <laughs> like my sins. And it goes from just information that you could recite to transfer, I mean, to revelation in your heart that you're like, it becomes alive. It kind of explodes in your heart. Well, how does that happen? He tells us through the spirit of what? Wisdom and what? Revelation. It's like it pops off the page. It explodes in your heart. And then when you have that revelation, here's what happens. It leads to transformation in your life. You've probably experienced this at some point in your Christian walk where it went from information to revelation and then you just started to live different. You started to love him different. You started to serve him different. You started to obey different because it was revelation in your heart. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what happens. The information becomes revelation. Your eyes are open to the glory of Jesus and it transforms you because of the Spirit teaching you more about God and you know him better. I remember when this happened in my life, right before I went off to college. I had one of those moments. I've had many of these moments in my life, but one of these moments where it just went from information to revelation. And it was life transforming. And the best way I can explain it is I knew about God before that, but then I knew God. Are you, are you know what the difference is, right? Like I wasn't, I didn't just like know things because I read them in scripture. I knew them because I walked with him. It was like things went from, like, okay, here's what you need to know. It's not that I know him perfectly. Of course, I don't know him perfectly. But I did know him personally at that point. And there is a difference. I still don't know God perfectly. I'm still, I mean, there's so much to discover about this God that we love and that we serve. So it's not perfect knowledge, but it is personal knowledge. This is what the Spirit does. This is what Paul is praying for. Oh, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Um, So there are things that I believe, not just because I read them in Scripture. I believe them because I read them in Scripture, but I believe them also because they have been revealed to my heart and I have a heart knowledge of them. For example, I know that God is gracious not just because Ephesians 2, which we'll talk about next week, tells me so. Now, I know it because the Bible tells me so, but I also know it because I have been washed by his grace over and over and over. Now, in my Christian life, there have been many times where I have believed intellectually that God loved me. 
But there are other times where I've had a revelation of God's love. I remember one time I was in the office and I was singing a song. You probably know if you, if you listen to any Christian worship music, He Loves Us, Oh How He Loves Us. You guys know that song? And I was listening to that song in the office and I began to weep. In the, and it, was, it wasn't like the pretty weep. It was like the ugly weep, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I mean, just weep. Why? Because God and His grace through His Spirit was revealing his heart of love towards me. I can tell you of times when by the spirit of God, I had a revelation, not just of what I read in the scripture that God is holy, but a revelation in my heart that God is holy. And when that happened, my heart started to have a reverential awe of God and my walk of obedience changed. No one had to tell me to be obedient. I was in awe of his holiness and I started to walk different. Why? Because of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Are you guys following me? I could go on. I've had times where God's heart for the nations was, it wasn't just I read it in the Bible. It was like in my heart in a different way where God revealed his heart for the nations and and my heart started to beat for his heart. And Paul says, oh, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better, not just so you can memorize facts, but you would know the God that you're reading about. And it would come alive in your heart. Can I just say this? For every student in Chi Alpha, I have a deep desire that you would experience the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That you would not just know that honey is sweet, but you would taste the sweetness of the honey. And Paul You know, and I want more of this myself. It isn't like I've arrived here. No, I want ever-increasing revelation of the knowledge of God in my life. And Paul says, oh, I pray this for you. you, This should make us hungry for more of the Spirit in our lives, that we would know God better. Are you hungry tonight for more of God's Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would know God better? Oh, God, make us hungry for more. This is what Paul prays because he knows it is the fundamental, essential resource to living in Christ. And then he gives us two other things, and I'll deal with these a little bit quicker. But he says this in verse 18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Here's what Paul says I pray that the Spirit would open your eyes. The eyes of your heart. Do you know your heart has eyes? It does. Well, that's figuratively. Yeah. Anyways, okay. That your the eyes of your heart would be open, so that you would know the hope to which He's called you better. When I was thinking about this passage, I was because here, here's the thing. Um, let me back up. Here's the thing. We have a tendency to live like the temporary is eternal, and the eternal is temporary. Anybody give me a witness on that? Like, yes, I feel that. I feel that. I tend to live like the temporary is eternal and the eternal is temporary. And Paul's like, I want God to open the eyes of your heart and give you revelation of the hope that, to which you've been called. Okay, so when I was reading that, I thought about a passage in 2 Corinthians that says this, should be on the screen, says this, that for the light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
Okay, here's what you need to know. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is like being really honest about some of the hard things he's been going through. In fact, in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, he says, it was so bad, I despaired of life. How many people know that's pretty bad? Okay, so he was going through some stuff. Now, he says this, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In other words, all of the stuff that is so hard in life, if you were to, he, he's making this picture of scales. If you were to put them on the scales, the hard stuff of life, the brokenness of life, the brokenness of the world, he says that when you put the eternal glory on the other side of the scale, it far outweighs. And so much so, these things that made me despair of life, I now consider light and momentary in, in contrast to the eternal glory that awaits us. And Paul says, oh, I want you to have that revelation in your heart of the eternal glory that awaits you. I want you to know the hope to which you've been called because that will change everything. So he prays that, that the this, this Spirit would reveal the eternal glory, the, their, their hope in Christ. He prays that for the church in Ephesus, and I believe he'd pray that for us tonight. I... Uh, heard a quote years ago that I've never forgotten. It's by a guy by the name of Peter Kuzmik, who is a Croatian theologian. He says this. He says, hope is the ability to hear the music of the future today. And faith is the courage to dance to it now. I love that quote. I, when, I, when I think of that quote, I think of like the person who you see at like the bus stop with the headphones in and they're just breaking it down, you know? I'm not gonna break it down too much, but you know what I'm saying? Like they're just, they're, and, and, they, and you're kind of are like admiring, they're, they're, you know, that they're breaking it down. You have no idea what the music is playing. You're like, he, Paul, like, I want you to be that guy. I want you to be the guy who's dancing to the music that no one else hears because you hear the music of the future and you are dancing. I want you to have a revelation of the hope of the future. I want you to hear the music now so you can dance to it today. He says, I pray that you would have that revelation in your heart, that the hope would be so alive by the Spirit. Lord, give us more of your Spirit that we could dance to the hope today. And then he says, finally, he says that he wants us to have the eyes of our heart open to the incomparably great power for those who believe. He wants you to have a revelation of the power that's available to you. That's what the scripture says. He, wants, he doesn't just say, um, I want you to know the power. I, no, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, I want you to know the great power that's available to those who believe. No, that's not what he says. You know what he says? I want you to know the incomparably great power. In fact, the word incomparably in, in the Greek literally means to go beyond. So to go beyond every thought of the greatness of his power, I want you to know that that power is available to us who believe. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says this. He says, it is impossible to overestimate God. I love that. 
And then in case you wonder what this power does and what it looks like and how, he, he doesn't leave it in the theoretical, he makes it very tactile. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, if you're wondering. That's the power that's available to you. The same, the same power that raised the crucified Christ in glory, being victorious over sin, over death, and over hell. That is the power available to you. And it's the same power that then seated him in the heavenly realm with, at the right hand of God the Father, which is the, the hand of authority and the hand of power. He says he's the one who, who seated Christ there and gave him a name that is above every other name. So whatever title you can think of, his title is better. So if your title that you think of is president or dictator or prime minister or general or emperor or CEO, whatever is the most powerful title you can imagine, Jesus's title is greater than that and always will be greater than that. It's an unrivaled title. And that is the one that you serve. And he's the one who through the Spirit gives you the incomparably great power. So what does that look like in our lives? Well, it looks like this. Sometimes it's the power to be obedient. That when our flesh has impulses and desires that are outside the will of God. He gives us the incomparably great power so we can walk in obedience. Other times, it's in our situations that we face situations in life that that seem too difficult, that seem too broken, that seem too impossible. And we're reminded of the fact that his power is available to us. I remember one time we had some alum, alum over at our house and we're talking about a very difficult situation that Amy and I were walking through and our alum looked at us and she said this. She said, you know what? We serve the God of resurrection. And this passage just, just popped into my head. You, you are right. We serve a God of resurrection. Now, I can't tell you how many times since that moment I've been in a difficult situation. I've thought to myself, you know what? We serve a God of resurrection. And it may be broken and it may seem impossible and it may be difficult, but we serve a God of resurrection. And that means it is possible with him. Now, and lest we start to sound too triumphalistic, that incomparably great power at other times gives us the strength to endure in the midst of a broken, hostile world. Because sometimes he strengthens us to walk through it. And he wants you to know that that power, by the Spirit, he wants you to have that revelation in your heart that that power is available to us who believe It's not triumphalistic. Yes, sometimes he changes circumstances just like that. You could not see coming. You couldn't believe it. And other times he gives you a strength to endure. So you're pressed but not crushed. You're persecuted but not abandoned. You're struck down but not destroyed. And he gives you the strength to be obedient. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be somehow arrive at sinlessness. No. You're going to throw yourself on the grace of God over and over and over and over. But it means the trajectory of your life can be defined by the power of the Spirit. He didn't leave you alone to slug it out in the trenches. He gave you the power of the Spirit to follow Him. As I close, a few months ago, um, my wife, Amy, and I started reading some books to our younger, youngest kids. We started reading the Chronicles of Narnia. And recently, we finished the, the second book, uh, Prince Caspian and the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you've ever read these books, but they're really great 
um, metaphor kind of books of, that have the gospel in them. And there's, a, there, there's a, uh, a character by the name of Aslan, and Aslan is a lion who represents Christ. And Aslan has not been a part of Prince Caspian, th- th- this specific book, as of yet. And then the young girl Lucy sees Aslan. And when she sees Aslan, she goes up to Aslan and she says this. She says, Aslan, you're bigger. And then Aslan replied, that's because you're older, little one. And so she says, not because you are. And he says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And as I was preparing this message, I thought, yes, that's what God wants for us, that we would step into more of the spirit, more of a spirit of wisdom and revelation, have a deeper revelation to, that the more we know, we find him bigger in our lives, bigger in our world. We find him bigger. I have a question for you. Will you hunger for more of the Spirit in your life so you may know Him better? So you would have the information of Scripture that we walk in become revelation in your heart that would lead to transformation in your life? So you'd have the revelation of the hope that awaits you so you could be the person who dances to the music of the future in the present. Oh, so that you would know the incomparably great power that's available for you to follow Jesus wherever he takes you, to be obedient, to trust him in situations that seem so broken and for the power to endure when you don't feel like you have the strength to keep going. Isn't it good news that the resource we need to live out the Christian life that God gives us? Will we join with Paul in the prayer Oh, that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our heart would be opened, that we would know him more, the hope and the power following Jesus. Will you stand? Father, I pray that tonight we wouldn't just talk about the spirit of wisdom and revelation, but we would encounter that spirit and that we would find you bigger. In Jesus' name, amen. May God give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know how worthy he is. Oh God, you're more worthy than we ever imagined more worthy than we ever known. Take us deeper into your worthiness. Open the eyes of our heart to your worthiness.
may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 